still in the chat? Nope, I'm just recording. Oh, okay, fine. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Okay, so... Um, so, um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to try and run a session this evening that highlights a principle that I think is very fundamental and very important for, um, actually, I think on a deeper level, to be honest with you, understanding assimilation, perhaps more than it helps us understand Judaism. But I think that, you know, living in a place like London or, or New York, you know, um, oftentimes understanding the nature of assimilation is, um, is actually more important in terms of helping you uh, grow in a mixed environment, you know, in, in such a melting pot, you know, it's so hard to grow in, in, as a human being, let alone as a Jewish person, in environments like this. So I thought it might be some, there may be some value in trying to share a couple of basic principles. At least I found valuable in the past, and I hope they are for you. And if they're not, then at least as far as I can see, we still have more soon. So <laughs> I won't tell if you don't tell. Okay. Um, so the first thing to, to begin to try and appreciate is that you know we grew up, I don't know about you guys specifically, but in general... Jewish people have grown up for many, 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 many centuries now um, in host cultures. Now, host culture environments always create significant challenges. And if you don't recognize that as a Jewish person, chances are that's probably just because your family was so far down the line of becoming American, or English, or French, or whatever it is, that by the time you became cognizant of it, it's like uh, you don't notice it. You don't notice it. But have anyone, have you know, anyone with that, remember that movie, My Big, what was it, My Big Fat Green Wedding, or something, whatever it was called? Yeah? yeah? It was great. It was great. There was another movie called Bend It Like Beckham, and I saw that movie. I actually went to the premiere of that, because a, a friend of ours was the producer. We had a company called Red Bus Films, whatever, who made that movie. And, um, and so that, you know, these, these movies are all kind of based in this concept of the culture clash. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the culture clash itself, the concept of a culture clash itself, is not particularly complicated or difficult. It's just that, even though we live in a very relativist society, which proclaims that all values are equal, and whatever's good for you is good for me, and whatever makes you happy, it's actually not really true. Okay? It's not really true. Um, and, and, and the host culture will always, in general, have a have a dominance. There's a certain assumption that the host culture is right. And that's different than the host culture is dominant. Now the truth is the host culture is dominant. It does not mean that the host culture is correct. So I'll give you an example. Let's say um, you come from South Africa. So if anyone here has been to South Africa or is from South Africa, right? It's a very highly cultured and mannered and what we would call civilized society. And you come to New York City. Okay, where the environment over here, the American culture is, let's say, has New York culture is slightly different to South Africa when it comes to the, na the nature of civility. Okay, being very nice. Okay, now there's no question that New York is the dominant culture in New York. Okay, it does not mean that it's correct. Okay, go spend five minutes in, in in South Africa, and all of you will have one feeling, one feeling only, and that is, 
when can I move here? <laughs> That's it, you know? As I always say, if it wasn't for the fact that you're facing certain death by the Rizal Abigail, everyone would move there, right? <laughs> you know? It's fantastic, absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful and civil and civilized. You know, people treat each other with very different, okay? So it's important to appreciate the first dynamic is that host cultures tend to be interacted with as if they are correct, whereas in fact what they are is dominant, okay? Now, can you, another example of that might be prison, okay? Prison, yeah? The culture there is dominant. You better watch your back. You better get a couple of gang tattoos. You know, you've got to work out in the yard. You've got to la 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 la. That doesn't mean that it's correct. It just means that it's dominant. Okay? So that's the first principle, which I think is really important appreciating how a place can feel so right and so wrong at the same time, which is, a, which is an, it, it, I think, a nice description of how a lot of people feel a lot of the time about life, is it feels so right, it feels so, but it also, it's not, it doesn't give you what it, you want. You guys, do you understand what I'm saying? Does yeah. it make any sense to you? I remember when I was a young guy, I, was, I became more religious when I was 19, 19 and a half, almost 20. But I remember I went from experience to experience, and it was just be like, yeah, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. And I didn't know what it, I didn't even know what it would feel like. I just knew it, it can't be this, it can't be this, you know. And I had a couple of amazing nights, and a couple of, you know, you guys remember like how New Year's Eve feels every year? You know, there is this one, you had one that was amazing, kind of trying to make it feel like that again, right? And, it never, and sometimes it does. I've had the last, in the last three years, I know I'm like a 40, sorry, just like, someone's coming to meet me, second, I'm starting, teaching, So, New Year's. Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the last, in the last three New Years, three, two out of three, I've been in Bangkok, and um, coincidentally, and um, and in Bangkok there's a place called the Khao San Road, which is like the main backpacking center of kind of all of Southeast Asia, and on New Year's there's about a hundred thousand people in Khao San Road. Khao San Road is a, is about as wide as say Madison. No, no, without the sidewalk, <laughs> and there's like, like food carts and little t-shirt shops and tattoo places and 24-hour bars, and it's, and it's about 500 yards, 500 meters long, yeah, and there's about 100,000 people packed into this place, yeah, and from every nationality, you know, and you go, 10, 9, 8, and then the whole place just goes mad, everyone's jumping, and there's like live DJs everywhere, you know, and they're all going crazy, right? <laughs> and, um, and that's been interesting, but it still doesn't feel, there's a lot of love there, there's a lot of unity there, but it still doesn't feel like the New Year's Eve when I was 14 or 15. And that's still, you know, when I don't go to Bangkok for the New Year's, <laughs> the New Year's Eve party, like I said, but coincidentally. 
So there's a really important difference between a dominant culture and, and, and the culture being correct, okay? And we're constantly struggling between those things. Um, now, when it comes to Jewish history, it's important to appreciate that Jewish philosophy was, was originally taught as a constitutional exercise. This is, uh, these were rules that were supposed to be the way a country was run. Okay? And one of the things that happened to the Jewish people was they took away our country. Okay? We were overrun by the Greeks and then by the Romans and we were dispersed throughout the world. So the Jewish people took whatever they could take with them, but it's hard to have a king or a Sanhedrin, a high court, a temple, um, agricultural laws, uh, the rule of your own law. Um, you can't really have that when you're a slave nation dispersed into 60, 70, 80 countries with no form of communication. It doesn't really work the same way. So the Jewish people took with them what they could, which was the Torah and the learning of Torah. And the laws, most of them became exercises in understanding and spiritual meditation, but they were not laws that anyone could practice because you can't sacrifice an animal in a temple that you don't have. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Does that make sense? But there were certain ideas that you could practice. You can practice love your neighbor as yourself. You can practice to look after the poor and the downtrodden. You can practice not to embarrass another person. You can practice to look after the widow and to look after the orphan. You can practice Shabbat. You probably. Right? You can practice Kashrut. Probably. Right? You can practice the festivals. Again, probably. So the fest, so the mitzvot that applied like deeply to the heart, the way that you speak about others, feel about others, think about others, feel about others, think about others, treat others, that was probably doable. Okay? That was probably doable. But, and, and the mitzvahs that were kind of personal and meditative, like prayer or Sabbath observance and kashrut, you could probably do. Okay? But the mitzvahs that were totally dependent on the land of Israel, you couldn't do. Or on being a nation under its own rule, you couldn't do. And in the, in the initial stages in host cultures, you know, it was even hard to do a lot of the Shabbat stuff. Or the Kashrut stuff. For example, if you were a slave in Roma, in Rome, does anyone know what the, the legal status of a Roman slave was? Anyone know what the legal status was? How, how it worked? Status. status, yeah. Sorry, status. <laughs> yeah? So a, a slave could be killed at will. It was not murder. They were considered property. Total property. It's like a fly. They could be raped. They could be sodomized, they could be slaughtered. It made no, there was no, there were no, just a piece of property, just do whatever you wanted. Right? Hard to ask for kosher food on Saturdays off in those environments. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? So, what was once a very noble, and this is the more important point, exhaustive legal system that regulated human life from a purpose, from a divine purpose of creating an ideal society that would serve as a light to the nations and that the rest of the world would look at it and say, this is what happens when you live life this way and this is what happens when we live life this way. We think this is better 
we think the way of the Jewish people is better, and we think therefore that the God who gave, right, that was the whole concept of the giving of the Torah, all of those ideas, right? But it became really difficult for people to do that because they couldn't. Now, think about the history of your own families when they moved to the States. If you're anything like typical families that moved to the States between 1880 and 1920, or many people after the Second World War. Okay, my family moved to England about 1890. So you moved into a country where you couldn't get keep a job if you worked on Shabbat. If you wouldn't work on Shabbat, you couldn't keep a job. You just couldn't do it. So 80% of the Jews who kept Shabbat stopped keeping Shabbat within a couple of months. You just couldn't. So the families tried to keep Shabbat, but the, I grew up, for example, in a family where my grandfather went to synagogue, he was the president of the synagogue, the Orthodox synagogue, went to synagogue on a Shabbat morning, and then went to work in the afternoon. And we drove to synagogue, an Orthodox synagogue, because it was just, you, you, that was the right thing to do, but you, <laughs> you, you, you can't, you've got to work. Which wasn't even true anymore by then, yeah? But that was the culture. Right? So most of us come from families. This is a really important thing to appreciate. Most of us come from families where there was no philosophical disagreement with the principles of Judaism. You couldn't do it. It was, just wasn't practical. And then the children, who might be our grandparents or our parents, grew up in homes that didn't keep this stuff. And they didn't even have any memory of keeping the stuff. They, they, it didn't get knocked out of them like it got knocked out of the people who came to the country. They just grew up not like that. And then we grew up like that. So it's just like... That's not, doesn't mean that what, how we grew up is right. It just means the way we grew up is dominant. It was just a dominant culture. It wasn't, it's not an issue of philosophically correct or incorrect. It just was, and that's how people grew up. And that's fundamentally how assimilation works. And it works the other way, by the way, which is in the religious communities, you bring your kids up religious. They don't necessarily think that it's right. It just is which is a big trick in parenting, by the way. <laughs> You'll get there, right? I have a 19-year-old girl, an 17-year-old girl, a 15-year-old girl, and I have a 13-year-old boy, and a 10-year-old boy, and a 7-year-old boy, giving you hope for the future, yeah? I have, like, some, there's some sanity around 10 years from now heading into the house, you know? But I'm saying, they, they, they grow up with it as a norm, so it's just, it's not about right and wrong for them. I mean... Jewish philosophy is quite a lot about right and wrong, so that's part of the dominant culture is to talk about what's right and wrong. But the reason that they talk about it is because it's dominant, not because they sat under the stars one day as four-year-olds and figured it out. Okay? So why are we the way that we are? And why is changing so hard? Forget, forget changing religiously. Anything. Why is this hard? Why is it not comfortable? Because when you change, it's the most comfortable thing in the world, no? When you succeed in changing, you break a bad habit, you're like, oh, awesome. It's not comfortable graduating high school. Everyone does it. It's not comfortable graduating college. Most people did it. I didn't. I'm a dropout. Yeah, but it's not comfortable working for a living. Most people do it. No, that's not the issue. I mean, it is the issue, but it's not the issue. I'll tell you, you want to know what's the difference between graduating college, which is probably harder, okay, than getting fit enough to run a marathon, or, I mean, I'm among civilized, 
working for that bikini body for the summer or like whatever it is, right? You know, yeah? Like it's probably harder to graduate college than to do that. It's three months of going to the gym every day for an hour and just just really no, really no sugar, like really none. Yeah? And that's it, and you're done. It's not the biggest deal. Yeah? So why is it so hard? You wanna know why? You're not scared. It's not the dominant culture. It's nothing to do with right. You know what's right. You know what you want. It's not the dominant culture. And therefore, what does work if you want to get that bikini, da da da, whatever, whatever that means. I don't really know what that means. Yeah. But if you want to get that for the for the sun, what, what what do you need to do? What would you need to do? Yourself around people. Create the dominant culture. That's right. Right. So what happens to when kids move down here with bright eyes? You know. And they get their first job in the city, and it's going to be amazing, you know. You see them three months later, like, (laughs) I'd like to invite you back to my apartment, but there's actually not room for another person to stand in there. (laughs) Or my landlord charges extra if anyone comes in, you know, whichever one it is, right? So, you know, what happens? What happens? Why do everyone come with bright eyes? Because, Because, you know, oh, it's the dominant culture. And the experience is not necessarily... I mean, some people have a great time. I don't be all down on it. I feel the same way about people come to Israel, too. It's not... Don't get me wrong. It's nothing to do with Manhattan. Because that's what dominant cultures do. They sell you a line, and you relate to it like it's right, and then you experience it, and it's wrong, and you don't know what's wrong, and you think maybe it's you. And what does the dominant culture say? It is you. And if you will just, what? Submit a little bit more to these principles... Well, then you'll be okay. Then you will succeed. Yeah? Does that make sense to everyone? You see how that works? It's a really simple principle, but it's really important to try and understand stuff because people just don't get this. It's all good. There's no need to kneel. It's really... Okay? So this first distinction between dominant and correct is really important. And here's where it gets even funnier, yeah? Who here, I don't know if any, anyone, if anyone here, I don't, you know, if you're here, the chances are you're on some kind of Jewish journey. It may be like you know, a two-stop journey or it might be a two-continent journey. I don't know, yeah? But you're probably on some kind of Jewish journey. Has anyone here ever experienced like friends being a little negative about your Jewish journey? Whatever that is, even, or family? Yeah? So here's a really cool thing you can ask them. Yeah? What are they teaching me that's wrong? Yeah, it's a really cool question to ask people who are negative. Like, what are they teaching me that's wrong? What, what are they teaching me that is wrong? Yeah? Most of the time, I mean, sometimes you meet someone who's like, they're teaching you a system that is negative, has neg- negative stereotypes about the women. And there's people who will have some ideas. Don't get me wrong. Of course. People are not stupid, yeah? But most of the time it's, the, you know what the real answer is? They're teaching you something different than what I think. And if you really want to be nasty about it, they're teaching you something different than what I don't think. Actually, because I don't think very much about it. They're teaching you something different than the dominant culture. Right? Now, that, by the way, is true. Potentially. I mean, I don't know what they teach over here. I know what I teach when I come in, what I try to share. And, it, you know, 
But I don't think it would matter if this was Jewish people or Christian people or atheist people. What I've said so far, I don't think anyone would have a hard time with. So far, I've never had anyone have a hard time with this idea. But sheep don't like leaders. And sheep don't like being called sheep. I understand. I understand that. And therefore, it's important to appreciate that the fundamental challenge of Jewish growth or any growth in a society is to realize that the reason that it's hard is because there's a part of you that is a sheep. Just like everyone else in the whole wide world. And it's true in, you know, Hasidic curly-whirly land too. Okay? <laughs> it's true everywhere. It's, this is a human dynamic. It's not a... Judaism won't save you from this. It's not... That's not what this is. Yeah? It's more, more fundamental than that, I would say. Yeah? But the pain that one feels is actually the pain of independence rather than the pain of, what's it called? Con conformity. Thank you very much. I'm a little jet lagged. I, I, you know, I only got in yesterday. And I was like, yeah? The pain, pain of conformity. The pain of conformity is meaningless and degrading and confusing and lacks identity. The pain of independence is the opposite of one of those things. It's loneliness. It's, it's lack of clarity. And it's much easier to just kind of throw back on the white curly wool coat and bar like everyone else. It's just easier to do that in the end. And a lot of people do. In every society, including the ultra-Orthodox, it's nothing to do with Judaism. I mean, it is. It's to do with advanced Judaism. But, it's, but you can find sheep, a little part, there's a little bit of sheep in everyone. Yeah? There's a little bit of sheep in everyone. So who survived assimilation? I'll tell you. Yeah, there were some families that when they came to Israel, when they came to America, you know what they said? They said, "Look, I believe in Hashem, and He said to keep Shabbos, and um, and it can't be that I, it can't, it can't be that I'm going to start. It just can't be." And they stuck it out. Very few people. And I, I, I only know this because I've read testimonies, and I actually met a man whose grandfather started a fund, a charitable fund. In Chicago to support families that kept Shabbat until the father could find a new job every week. And there were people who did it. So what was the difference between them and everybody else? Oh, they were amazing. They were strong. Nah, I don't, again, that's not helpful. Because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be amazing and strong. If I knew how to be amazing and strong, I would be being amazing and strong. <laughs> I would be like, oh, I'm only amazing and strong on a Wednesday. You know, so I don't know how to do it ever. So how do you, how do you do that? Right? So I believe that they understood the difference between dominant and correct. And they also realized that dominant can only dominate if you let it dominate. Or put differently, it will only really dominate if you switch it out with what is right. You begin to think that it's right. That's when it really dominates. 
And they, weren't, they refused to give that up. They refused to give up their minds. They weren't, they weren't prepared to do that. They just weren't prepared to do that. And since they weren't prepared to do that, so they didn't. And I think it was really, 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 really hard for people. Really hard. When you travel a little bit around the world, you see, you see these, you see families like Chabad families, and they're living, they're living literally, literally in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. And they have three, four kids. They're not friends. They're not sending their kids to the local Indian school or Thai school or Jamaican school. They're not, they're not doing that. They're not doing it. Because dominant doesn't mean correct. Now that doesn't mean that the dominant culture is incorrect. It just the fact that it's dominant does not mean that it's correct. And or put differently, success does not mean that you're right. There's always two levels to things. There's always two levels to things. And that was really the principle that I wanted to try and get to tonight. I mean, this is an ongoing series of ideas. This is valuable for everyone, and I hope this is, has, has some, some value and resonates a little bit. So the next thing to try and understand is, okay, fine. So, but what is the difference between the cultures? Why can't they just work? You know, if you move from London to New York, you might be like, yeah, it's really different here. Why? I don't know, because they, I don't know, have less holiday. In England, most companies give you 14 days, 21 days holiday, and over here, America's more like 10, you know? But what, what's, re what's really the difference? The accent. Yeah, the accent, the speed of the, the, speed of the life. But again, fundamentally, the same, the same stores, the same banks, in the, base, the same bank, basic economic principles and drives. It's pretty similar. Most of Europe and New York, you know, it's pretty similar. In fact, to be honest with you, I think you could go into the Midwest and it would be more different, more, more of a distinction between New York and there than it would be from New York and London. It's just kind of energy. So what's the difference between a Jewish society, let's say, okay, and a Western society? So for that, we need to understand something. Again, this is an ongoing series of principles, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to explore them again together a little bit and go a little further, maybe. I mentioned to you before, in, Russian, in, 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 in Roman society, right? I mentioned before how in Roman society, people were able to kind of, you know, they had different definitions of how to look at things, okay? So slaves, even though they were human beings, but sheep don't like leaders. And sheep don't like being called sheep. I understand. I understand that. And therefore it's important to appreciate that the fundamental challenge of Jewish growth or any growth in a society is to realize that the reason that it's hard is because there's a part of you that is a sheep. Just like everyone else in the whole wide world. And it's true in... You know, Hasidic curly whirly land too. Okay, <laughs> it's true everywhere. It's this is a human dynamic. It's not a Judaism won't save you from this. It's not. That's not what this is. Yeah, it's more more fundamental than that. I would say. 
yeah? But the pain that one feels is actually the pain of independence rather than the pain of, what's it called? Con conformity, thank you very much. Oh, I'm a little jet lagged, I, I, you know, I only got in yesterday. Yeah, but the pain, pain of conformity. The pain of conformity is meaningless and degrading and confusing and lacks identity. The pain of independence is the opposite of one of those things. It's loneliness, it's, it's lack of clarity, and it's much easier to just kind of throw back on the white curly wool coat and bar like everyone else. It's just easier to do that in the end. And a lot of people do. In every society, including the ultra-Orthodox, it's nothing to do with Judaism. I mean, it is. It's to do with advanced Judaism. But, it's, but you can find sheep, a little part, there's a little bit of sheep in everyone. Yeah? There's a little bit of sheep in everyone. So who survived assimilation? I'll tell you. Yeah, there were some families that when they came to Israel, when they came to America, you know what they said? They said, "Look, I believe in Hashem, and He said to keep Shabbos, and um, and it can't be that I, it can't, it can't be that I'm going to start. It just can't be." And they stuck it out. Very few people. And I, I, I only know this because I've read testimonies, and I actually met a man whose grandfather started a fund, a charitable fund in Chicago to support families that kept Shabbat until the father could find a new job every week. So there were people who did it. So what was the difference between them and everybody else? Oh, they were amazing. They were strong. Nah, I don't, again, that's not helpful. Because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be amazing and strong. If I knew how to be amazing and strong, I would be being amazing and strong. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm only amazing and strong on a Wednesday. You know, it's like, I don't know how to do it ever. So well, how do you... How do you do that? Right? So I believe that they understood the difference between dominant and correct. And they also realized that dominant can only dominate if you let it dominate. Or put differently, it will only really dominate if you switch it out with what is right. You begin to think that it's right. That's when it really dominates. And they, weren't, they refused to give that up. They refused to give up their minds. They weren't, they weren't prepared to do that. They just weren't prepared to do that. And since they weren't prepared to do that, so they didn't. And I think it was really, 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 really hard for people. Really hard. When you travel a little bit around the world, you see, you see these, you see families like Chabad families, and they're living, they're living literally, literally in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. They have three, four kids. They're not friends. They're not sending their kids to the local Indian school or Thai school or Jamaican school. They're not, they're not doing that. They're not doing it. Because dominant doesn't mean correct. Now, that doesn't mean that the dominant culture is incorrect. 
It just the fact that it's dominant does not mean that it's correct. And, or put differently, success does not mean that you're right. There's always two levels to things. There's always two levels to things. And that was really the principle that I wanted to try and get to tonight. I mean, this is an ongoing series of ideas. This is valuable for everyone, and I hope this is, has, has some, some value and resonates a little bit. So the next thing to try and understand is, okay, fine. So, but what is the difference between the cultures? Why can't they just work? You know, if you move from London to New York, you might be like, yeah, it's really different here. Why? I don't know, because they, I don't know, have less holiday. In England, most companies give you 14 days, 21 days holiday, you know, here America's more like 10, you know? But what, what's, really, what's really the difference? The accent. Yeah, the accent, the speed of the, the, speed of the life. But again, fundamentally, the same, the same stores, the same banks, in the, base, the same bank, basic economic principles and drives, it's pretty similar. Most of Europe and New York, you know, it's pretty similar. In fact, to be honest with you, I think you could go into the Midwest and it would be more different, more, more of a distinction between New York and there than it would be from New York and London. It's just kind of energy. So what's the difference between a Jewish society, let's say, okay, and a Western society? So for that, we need to understand something. Again, this is an ongoing series of principles, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to explore them again together a little bit and go a little further, maybe. I mentioned to you before, in, Russian, in, 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 in Roman society, right? I mentioned before how in Roman society, people were able to kind of, you know, they had different definitions of how to look at things, okay? So slaves, even though they were human beings, as you get older, they, the stress on ethics becomes less. Not that you should be unethical, that's not the same thing, but the learning of it as a discipline, yeah? Yes? Um, I think a lot of it also just comes from yourself. Like, even if, you, mm -hmm. you know, people who were raised in as great backgrounds as we all were, they still have a sense of right and wrong. Absolutely, because it's fundamental. Just like people that are raised in a purely ethical environment have a sense of productivity, right? Okay, but that's the important distinction: is to appreciate that in the in the West, if we can say something that's totally unfair, but you'll know what I mean. The West educates us to be able to produce, and leaves ethics to us. Informal, yeah, to get totally unfair, but kind of fair, if you know what I mean. No, totally general, too general, but but kind of kind of fair, yeah. Now the Jewish system. The Jewish education system is completely the opposite. Which education system are you talking about, though? Jewish. Jewish school, or no, no, not Western, not Western, not Western Jewish school, okay. not Western Jewish school, because that again, that's just dominant culture stuff. And I'll prove it to you, by the way, because if you go to a dominant culture school in England, in the dominant culture in England, you could totally have a Jewish school that's a public school. They do. They have loads of them. All the, all the schools in England are state-funded, they're government-funded pu public schools that only Jewish people can go to. And the, and the curriculum is the secular governmental curriculum in, the, in you know, three, four hours a day, and, and Jewish studies the rest. But in America, you can't do that. It's absolutely illegal, you can't do it. So therefore, it's not, you know, so, you know, so you have charter schools, but they can only, and Jewish schools, they can only be private. 
So it's very much based on the rules of the dominant culture. It's not, it's not a Jewish school. It's a school for Jew, Jews in culture X, or in culture Y, or in culture Z. And by the way, that's true in Israel as well. Okay? That's true in Israel as well, because Israel is a Western country, and the religious right within Israel are constantly struggling for it to be more Judaism-based in, its, in, in terms of what the dominant culture is. And, and secular Israel is pushing, no, we want secular Western values with Judaism as a nice exile-like religion, where we do this and do that, and it's cultural and nice, and the, and, and, and the right-wing is saying, no, and the opposite should be the case. Right? Again, not to make rights and wrongs, but that's just what's going on over there. And that's why the religious won't go to the army, and all of that business is all about what's the dominant culture. It's not about that the religious people sit there and say, like, if 100 million Arabs invaded us tomorrow, I think it's better that we should not do anything. Like, they do get it. Like, not, they, they get that they should fight. It's not about that. It's about contributing to dominant cultures that you don't want to, you don't want to be dominant. And, and what's called a contribution, how to contribute, you know, and there's a thousand arguments about what's right and wrong over there, and that's not, not my area, yeah? But Jewish philosophy says that, it says, ben chamesh lemikra, a five-year-old person should become acquainted with the, with the Bible. Ben eser lemishnah, and at 10, you begin to study all of Jewish law, which is entirely ethical, ethically focused. There's no, nothing vocational at all. At all. There's, not, there's nothing in there. My son is 13 years of age, you know, and he goes to school, and he has secular, he goes to a mixed a school that has secular studies, he learns math and history. But in the afternoon, in the mornings, he learns Talmud, and he's learning laws of theft, and he learns, and he learns Mishnah, and I think in Mishnah at the moment he's learning... What's he doing? He's doing some stuff to do with, 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 with the laws of, of Passover. Yeah? It's like no, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing at all to do with, like, this is how you hold a hammer, this is how you drive a car, or this is, you know... It's, it's, there's no profession at the end of this. It's not headed anywhere except for understanding, you know, Jewish law, and it's, which is ethical, fundamentally. What is the right thing or the wrong thing to do in this situation? Okay? Again, not talking about rights and wrongs at all. Just pointing out a very big difference. Now, how do you make a living in the Jewish religion? According to Jewish religion. So your father's supposed to teach you a trade. It's kind of the way that ethics gets sorted out in the West. You figure it out. What, it says that one, yeah. one of the things your father is supposed to teach you is your father's supposed to teach you a trade. That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Your yeah, father's teaching you a trade. He should teach you to swim. He should teach you a trade. And there's another thing. I can't remember what it is. I'm embarrassed. Sorry, who's that? You know, so it's really, it's really, these are really interesting. Now, that's really bizarre because people are like, well, hang on a second. Hang on, make a living. Ah! Right? <laughs> And, but if you look at Jewish communities throughout history, they've not really struggled <laughs> with this. They're pretty good. And in fact, by the way, who are the wealthiest Jewish communities in... What are the wealthiest Jewish communities in America? Anyone know? I don't think anyone really knows, but they'll always, people will tell you it is the... The who? who does anyone know? The community. Does anyone know? What ethnic? Syrians and the Persians, meaning people who came from a merchant culture, you know, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, into America, and basically have stayed with that. 
They're very good at making money. It wasn't an issue, yeah? I mean, they have poor people like everybody else. But it's a really bizarre thing. Bizarre thing. But in England, I don't know about you guys, it was like lawyer, doctor, or accountant, and that was it. Right? Because productivity was the focus. That was the dominant culture. Productivity, guaranteed success, solid income. Take care of that. Take care of that. Take care of that. Historically, we come from a culture that moved into England and was American was starving, and it needed to establish itself. You know, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, shelter. Coming. It's very reasonable. Stuff is very reasonable. Yeah. But at a certain point, compulsion becomes culture, and then culture overrides and becomes dominant, and you're in an environment that's just completely focused on, on creating security in, in a way that's way beyond any security that it needs, and there's very little ethical development taking place, which is what creates the, the gap in people's hearts and souls that means that people are interested in programming like this. Does that make any sense what I'm trying to say? Does get what I mean? And the people who are not interested in programming like this, why are they not interested in general in your experience? They don't they think that they're dominant right. It's gonna get in the way of me being successful. Money never sleeps. I need to stay at work till eleven, you know, and all of that business. Right? Again, we're not talking about the rights and wrongs of it, we're just talking about how it plays itself out. It, yeah? I feel like that's a comment. I've been coming to school for quite a while, and everyone I meet, like, just hearing your conversation, I feel like a lot of people I meet here work in, like, social work or, like, special needs. I work in nonprofit. But in, like, the real world, I, like, a lot of people I meet are more, like, in finance or... Right. And I think it's, like, very interesting that two people that like want that deeper connection are also doing things not cheap. like day-to-day day day that cheap. are more. Not cheap. So I just think that's amazing. I think it's true. Not cheap. Already made a switch to less money for more meaning. Meaning, in pure terms, less productive for more ethics. And therefore, are attracted more to the study of that and the discussion of that. Whether it plays out in a person's personal life or not, that's really a very different question. That's not what we're talking about tonight. But absolutely, I agree. Yes, ma'am. Do you feel like those two things are inversely proportional? That the more that they can't coexist, kind of the balance of the They don't. They tend not to. They obviously have to, because one needs to be productive and one needs to be ethical. But it becomes very challenging at that point, because you're going to face a situation where you say, here's a great one. Talking to a guy, true story, true story. Good looking guy, 33 years, there are about 80,000 Anglo singles living in Tel Aviv. You don't know this, 30,000 or 80,000, right? And they're all like, you know, like, they're cool people. They moved to Tel Aviv. It's like a pretty hardcore thing to do. But work is hard to find. So one of the, you know, it's like kind of like in LA when you meet people and they're like, what do you do? Well, I'm waiting tables right now, but. I want to be an actor, right? Yeah. So it is, I was like, I want to be in high tech, but you know, right now I'm, what are they doing? A lot of them are doing sales for, um, for online foreign exchange trading websites. It's a huge business. It's effectively a casino. The, the way that the, it's an unregulated industry and people basically lose their money by investing with these companies. 
pervasively do. And the guys that work in these places, they call up people and they persuade them to invest and take our classes on how to invest. And you'll make money, you'll make money, you'll make money. And they put in 500, you'll make money, you'll make money, you'll make money. And they put in 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks or 2,000 bucks and they lose the money. And these companies are making millions and millions of dollars. So I met this guy and he's like, look, I didn't have a job and I want to stay in Israel and I'm good on the phone, so I've taken this job and I'm earning really, earning really well for Israel. But he's not comfortable doing what he's doing, but he wants to stay in Israel. So it's like an ethical conflict there. He's doing an unethical thing or being, he's being productive, but it's not in a particularly, it's not illegal what he's doing. Well, it's not particularly ethical, but he wants to stay, which he feels is more ethical. It's like it's confusing and difficult for people. And finding that balance is really, really important. It's really, really important. But when the goal of the society is financial success, ethics become secondary. They're not irrelevant. People don't want to break the law. It's not evil. I mean, it can be, but that's not, you're not supposed to be. Whereas in Jewish philosophy, the point of life is not to be financially successful. Because that's actually not the point of life. It's a really difficult thing to get their heads around because the dominant culture is like so, yeah, but that's like, mean, you know, that means you're, that means you're like a loser. <laughs> it's like so bizarre. <laughs> it's like such a bizarre thing because let me point something out to you. Of the 250, 300 million people in America, how many are financially successful? So the point of not having to worry. Very few, like very, very few. Right? Most people don't make it that far. You know, you just can't. It's, if you think about it, it's not a pyramid scheme. It doesn't. It can't be, because the prices are calculated based on what people, most people, what certain people can afford. But, so people aspire. You can't have everyone wealthy. It's not going to work like that. So it's a society where most people can't accomplish the goal of the society. Which at least keeps people hungry. I mean, not physically hungry, but... Yes, ma'am? But the point is to find the balance, right? Because you can... Maybe. I'm, I'm, tonight, was just, I'm just opening it up for you guys to think about it. I think, obviously... Yeah, uh, I don't think it's about finding balance, no. I think it's about being ethical and not starving to death. That's fine. I think that's... What that might be the balance, is. but I'm saying I, I don't think that success is defined in these terms... Particularly, I think the, I think success is defined much more by the look in your children's eyes, you know, the, the, the fact that they feel loved, the look in your partner's eyes, your wife's eyes, your husband's eyes, and they've experienced real love and real commitment. I think it's about the impact that you make on the community. I think it's about the poor people that you feed. I think it's much more about those. But you things. need you need a stable job to be able to do those things. So Correct. There's like Correct. a saying like you can't have. Like learning, I don't know. I'm not saying right. no food, yeah, right? But as but as a great rabbi of mine once said, a great teacher of mine once said, he said, everyone says ain kemach ain Torah, no money, no Torah. He says, but you can live on a on a street sweeper's salary. Of course, but, right. no, yeah. but we wouldn't do that because we wouldn't do that. And I'm not, I'm not saying anyone's wrong here. I don't mean it that way. I'm just trying to point out yeah, that the, no. the the balance the balance is yeah, yeah. way no, it's definitely. Definitely, there's, you don't prioritize certain things that right, are dominant right. society does, but you, right. you definitely need a good job to provide your family and to give sadaqah and to do those things. You don't things. need a good job. You just need a job, and you need to live within right. your means. Right. Modestly, right. right. Or not. I mean, it depends on the person, and it's much more complex than that, because if you've grown up a certain way, it's, very, it's not necessarily helpful to just smash yourself into the floor. There's nothing like hope to, like... 
Yeah, of course. I understand. I understand. I understand. You know, I talk. I, I say like I give a class once, so from a different angle on relationships, and in the class I say, if you could be like a billionaire, da 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 da, but have like really bad relationships with your wife and kids, or you could have like lower middle class life, like you can just about manage your car payments and that. You're okay, but you're not rich, but you have like awesome relationships, like. You know, which one would you choose? So 100% of the room always choose. well, 97% of the room always chooses the lo- lower income, better relationships. But there's always people who be like, but why can't I have both? Yeah. So, I'm saying, so I would say, you can, but I'm just asking you to choose if you couldn't. Right? But of course, we all live in hope of having both. In fact, the Talmud talks about that a person merited to have two tables, meaning he had ethical, meaningful life and tremendous financial wealth. And it's considered to be an amazing thing. My rabbi always used to say to me, he used to say, Jamie, yeah, why aren't you a billionaire? So I'd be like, because I'm studying in your yeshiva. <laughs> and he'd be like, Abraham was a billionaire. How come you're not a billionaire? So I said, well, I don't know. So he said, well, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? So I say, well, I would use it for... Ch-. He said, ah, come on, what would you really do if you had a billion dollars, what would be the first thing you would do? Yeah? So I'd say, look, I really want to use it for good things, but I would, the first thing I'd do probably would be like, I'd take away my family, and I'd have like a month with my mom and my dad, and I would, uh, 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 you know, and I would, and then and I caught myself, and then I would buy a yacht, and I would, <laughs> and I would, that's why you're not a billionaire, because Hashem can't trust you with that type of money, you'll be a bum in 10 seconds, that's what he used to say to me. That's what he said to me, I'm not saying he would say that to anyone else, you? I'm sure. None of you would do that. But there is balance, and we have to find balance, and of course, yeah? But the, the process, to, the, the only way to find balance when, when you're part of a society for several generations that's so dominant and biased towards one side, you've got to be able to see clearly that there's, this is not important. I mean, if, if you think that, and then you can find a balance as to where it's, you know, as, as to where it's really helpful. And that's going to include what you're used to, what you can cope with, what your self-esteem requires family pressure, because the, the, the negative ramifications of it may be worse for your growth than the positive parts of, you know, living more modestly for a lot of people. Yes, ma'am? I think it's ironic because while Judaism and Torah would say that ethics over productivity and really more ethics and productivity if you could achieve that, um, because we are not all about it's not more, by the way. It's not more. It's never sacrificing. You can't do the wrong thing in order to be more productive. You, you, it's that, always that's the more important. It's the right thing. Um, but that we don't... Other religions, like if you were a Buddhist, let's say, and you wanted to be a Buddhist monk, that would be great and easy because your, your needs and what you need to do to be part of that religion is so low economically in terms of what you need financially. Right. But for us, you know, as we always say, Judaism is the one religion that mixes spiritual with physical. Physical, so between hopefully having a big family and Shabbat dinner and guests and every holiday and taking off work for the holidays and Shabbat and all that stuff, you need like a plentiful life to be able to do that with joy rather than with like stress and right. And, and here's the funny thing: in all the cultures in the world where you could live for nothing, the Jews don't go there. <laughs> They're just not there. In fact, they've been linchpins in building the Western economies. Right? 
the famous Rothschild family, you know, which ran the first banks, the first the banking system was built on the Jewish, on 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 on, on the method of the Jewish people of passing legal messages between community to community in an attempt to qualify ethical questions. But they were able to build postal services and banking services based on those networks. Historically, according to my reading, could be you guys would read differently and read out a different theory, but that's what I've read. Yeah? In uh, non-Jewish works, I'm saying. So I came tonight to speak a little bit about productivity versus ethics. Now the point is not that they should be in conflict, is they should be in harmony. But what I wanted everyone to try and understand from that is, is that when you're talking about Judaism, you're not really talking about a religion. You're talking about, you're talking about a, a, a political system, actually. But it's, it's, it's put into the category of religion because its politics are the politics of ethics. It's the politics that, that of building a country based on ethical values with the assumption that productivity will follow versus product, building a country based on productivity based on the assumption that ethics will follow. And my point over here is not to talk about who's right and who's wrong. Believe it or not, societies that follow ethical systems tend to be more ethical. Societies that follow more product, productive systems tend to be more productive, or financial success-based models tend to be more financially successful. And it's up, it's up to Hashem to judge where's the best resting place for a Jewish person. It's just beginning to understand a little bit why sometimes Jewish growth might feel <coughs> like it's a contradiction with Western life, it isn't, as we were talking about. But until you can make that distinction and know and understand why Western society will struggle to contribute to your spiritual development in the same way that Jewish philosophy might struggle to assist you in terms of your accountancy exams, right? So it's important to appreciate why that is. And because once you understand, then it becomes much easier to understand why it's hard to grow and what type of support you need to be able to grow. Right? Because you're dealing with a dominant culture that, is, that has a completely different message in key areas, and because we mistake dominance with correctness, because might makes right in Western culture, that's how we win. We win because we have more money, or we have more strength, we conquer lands, right? Might makes right. So therefore, dominance takes on ethics, becomes ethical. And it's not. It's not the same. And that's really confusing until people understand it clearly. So I hope that this has some value for everyone. I hope I haven't wasted your time. It's been nice anyway, I hope. And, and good luck, by the way, on living that distinction to the best that you can. I found it to be an immensely helpful one. Not from the perspective of dissing the West. That's not the point over here. You just need to appreciate and understand that this one thing doesn't mean the same thing in another place. I'll give you a great example. Yeah? What does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Okay. But in Southeast Asia, that means come here, dog. Right? And that means come here, person. So if you do that in Southeast Asia, you're being very insulting to someone. But if you do that, it's, that's the way you would ask someone to come over. If you do that in America, they literally probably wouldn't know what you meant. <laughs> right? If you do that in Southeast Asia, in Arab countries, I think, yeah. it's, it's rude. Yeah. Yeah. Very rude. Yeah. So someone say like, "Are you guys okay?" You'd be like, "They'd be like, what did you say about my mother?" <laughs> be like, what do you mean? I was saying thank you so much. Yeah. So it's not, it's just you can't work with something when you don't get it. 
So you'd be walking around Egypt going like that, you know, saying, I'm like the friendliest guy here, and I've been beaten up every day. I don't know what's going on. To be like a Jewish person in a, in a productivity-oriented society saying, I'm trying to grow, but it's not working. Because you've got to know what the messages are and what the principles are. And here's the real secret. I'll just end on this one. Hashem promises us, I can't say that. I can't say that that's true. My understanding is that, that Hashem promises, but I can't point to a source that says this. Okay? That if you live ethically in a productivity-oriented society, you'll be successful. So if you want to know how to combine the two, the point is you, you have to live with ethics as your dominant principle. And if you do that, yeah, then the opportunities, because of what you guys said before, we don't remember this necessarily, we're talking about like laws come from, it was you that said laws come from God, right? So that means this is where the world really works. So if you're in line with the way that the world really works, it's not going to mess you up living like that. So we work with a system that says if you choose, the, if you choose ethical choices, it might be hard for you sometimes, okay? But you, what you're really doing is tuning into the way that the world really works. And that means that all of the other blessings that are part of life, if they're supposed to come to you, then they will, and they will. So, so you know, maybe that's a way, a direction for people to find the courage, um, you know, to find the courage to live in line with their hearts and what they know to be true and what they know to be right to be real, even though they might be in a culture that, you know, uh, is less complimentary about that. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Just finished. You made it. You worked up. Huh?